I wanted us this morning to sing the hymn, This Is My Father's World. I didn't think to specify the original last verse, which is so radical because it's so biblical that it often gets adulterated, okay? The original last verse says, Jesus who dies shall be satisfied, and earth and heaven be one. Now that is scriptural. That is Ephesians 1.10 and many other passages. That's what passages, that's what we want to talk about this morning. Now, I would like to direct you to uh, another scripture. This is from Colossians. You're familiar with it, but notice the words that I've highlighted here. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him, and for in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. dig out the implications of that verse, we understand that every week is creation care week. Notice Paul's theme here. Through Jesus Christ, God is pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making shalom through the blood of his cross. This is one of the most profound truths in Scripture. In the Bible, it is restated in various ways, I think no place more succinctly than in Ephesians 1.10. God has a plan for the fullness of time to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, Jesus Christ, a literal translation of that verse. This truth fits perfectly the larger revealed biblical picture of who God is and what God is doing through Jesus Christ by the Spirit. And the great significance biblically, of the physical creation, the good earth that God has made. It's not just background. Only a physical flesh and blood, Jesus Christ, could redeem us and bring salvation in all of its dimensions. Consider the superlative affirmations about Jesus Christ in a number of places in Scripture, but I think this morning here of Hebrews 1 and 2, Think about this bold statement, reconciling all things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, through Jesus Christ. That is the biblical gospel. Consider the the scope of salvation, biblically speaking. And when I say consider, I'm speaking to myself because I discovered over the last number of years I really wasn't considering the scope of salvation. I was was, uh, considering it in kind of a split-level way. My argument here this morning is that the Bible is the story of salvation involving God himself, people, and land. So that's the full gospel, not two-thirds gospel. God himself, people, and land. Too often in our concern for people, we have forgotten God's concern for the land, the good things, the all things, I should say, of God's good creation. Look at how the Old Testament pictures the relationship between God, people, and earth. I want to picture that for you this morning, all the way through, really, Genesis to 
Revelation. This captures, I think, much of the Old Testament understanding of the relationship between God, people, and land, and it is a covenantal relationship, implied already in Genesis 1, explicit in uh, Genesis chapter 9, where it says God has created, uh, established a uh, covenant with Noah and his descendants and with all the creatures, seven times there it says all the creatures, and the relationship that God establishes is one of shalom, which is often in translated in the New Testament as reconciliation. This is the biblical picture of salvation. This is the structure, God, land, and people, or God and the whole of creation. John Wesley reflected this when he wrote, our covenant with God is a covenant with all the creatures. This, of course, then is expanded in the New Testament. We shouldn't expect something different when we move from the old to the new, but rather an expansion or fulfillment, as Jesus said. So what we find in the New Testament is a, an expansion of what we find in the Old Testament, recon, shalom, reconciliation through Jesus Christ. We now see more fully that the Lord of all creation, the Lord is the Lord of all creation, and that the Lord is, is Trinity, and all people, are included in the scope of salvation by the invitation that is given. All nations, all people, and all creation, just as the new covenant includes all people, so it includes the whole creation, as already prophesied in the Old Testament. Land, in fact, is a key theme throughout the Bible. I invite you to trace this through. I did. It was quite uh, um, grounding, shall we say. It was quite uh, illuminating to trace this theme of land through the Bible, from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Think of the references, of course, to promised land, to the whole earth, and so on, but that, those, uh, those are only the beginning. And remembering, of course, that in the Bible, the words land and earth are the same word, similarly in Old Testament and New Testament. And so the Apostle Paul writes, through Jesus Christ, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Behind this is the whole Old Testament and the whole promise, the whole revelation of the covenantal relationship that God establishes with creation. But we have a problem here. A long tradition devaluing the earth and spiritualizing salvation in a non-biblical way. When I started working on salvation means creation healed, I thought that was mostly one problem. The more I got into it, well, it's also this and this and this, and so I, I identified what I think are seven barriers, seven reasons that the church very often has lost the biblical understanding of God's plan for all creation. I'll give you some examples. John Calvin, from the Institutes of the Christian Religion, he said this, this is the wonderful exchange which God has made, that becoming son of man with us, he has made us sons of God with him, that by his descent to earth, he has prepared an ascent to heaven for us, that by taking on our mortality, he has conferred his immortality upon us. Notice that. By his descent to earth, God has prepared an ascent to heaven for us. Now, that, that's very common medieval theology and worldview. It ha happens to be not what the Bible teaches. 
Salvation is not about descent to earth and then ascent into heaven. Another example, Jonathan Edwards, contemporary of John Wesley, who also lived at the same time. I said it's a contemporary of John Wesley, who already lived, also lived at the same time. Wake up. <laughs> okay. This is Jonathan Edwards. The physical world, though glorious and beautiful, is only an imitation of the superior, the material of the spiritual. Thus, the material world is nothing but a type of what is spiritual. Yet the Bible does not say, does not teach, that the material world is nothing but a type of the spiritual. This is closer to Gnosticism. The very good physical world from the hand of God is much more glorious in this and much more central to God's plan. This, however, is the Christian worldview that we have inherited. Physical things are not really important. I happened to be talking to a young United Methodist pastor yesterday, and I, we were I was discussing some of this thing. He said, well, yeah, that was what I was taught. That was the worldview I was taught. The problem is not the New Testament. It's not the, the Bible. It is an unbiblical split-level worldview that developed mainly in the Middle Ages and which the Reformation never really challenged. N.T. Wright's comment here in his book, The Day the Revolution Began, is, is uh, apropos. He says, I have often reflected that if the reformers had focused on Ephesians, such as Ephesians 1.10, rather than Romans and Galatians, the entire history of Western Europe would have been different. He adds, what might happen if instead of the ultimate vision of saved souls going to heaven, we were to start with the eschatology of Ephesians 1.10 with God's plan to sum up all things in heaven and earth in the Messiah, which in the second century was exactly what Irenaeus was, was teaching. Our problem is not the New Testament. It is an unbiblical, split-level view, way of seeing reality and of interpreting the Bible, a distorted view that has been inherited from the past. You do not find it. Let me challenge you. You don't find this in inductive Bible study. So, if so, the question is, what is the solution? Well, I want to suggest a three-part answer here. First, the New Testament assumes and incorporates the Old Testament revelation. Secondly, I want to focus on the all things theme in the New Testament. And then third, Jesus' incarnate life and resurrection. We should also note the many references to land and earth and physical things in the New Testament. First of all, the New Testament assumes and incorporates the Old Testament revelation. As Jesus said, the key fact here is fulfillment. Understand not, understood not as a transition from the material to the spiritual, which I think I kind of tended to learn as I, as I was growing up in the church, but as the complete fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises of the flourishing of the land, shalom, and God's people through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, consider some of the things he said along this line. Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. This fulfillment of the Old Testament promises is to be understood with the same physical literalness of Jesus' incarnation and resurrection. And Jesus promised to return to earth 
to restore all things, as Peter preached in Acts 3.21, the restoration that God announced long ago through his holy prophets. That's where John Wesley gets this phrase, the restitution of all things, from the King James Version. The restoration that God announced long ago through his holy prophets, not according to a theory alien to scripture. We remember that Jesus said, for example, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the first key point in this picture this morning is that the New Testament assumes and incorporates the Old Testament Revelation, fulfillment, not mere symbol or metaphor. God's plan of salvation includes the earth. It includes all creation. And then I want to focus a bit on the all things theme in the, old, uh, in the New Testament. The key points here, first, heaven and earth in the Old Testament become all things in the New Testament. You can trace this through. I'll talk about that in a minute. Secondly, Old Testament promises to restore and heal become the reconciliation of all things, tapanta, in the New Testament. In the Bible, heaven and earth usually mean the whole created order. You see this in the Old Testament. Very often this phrase, heaven and earth, but it generally means the whole created order, not two different separate realms. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and other references there where you'll find the same kind of, of usage. So heaven and earth in the Old Testament becomes all things in the New Testament. So read all things in the New Testament, go back and see what it says in the Old Testament that is relevant to that. In the Old Testament, as the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament puts it, in the Old Testament, there is no uniform abstract concept of the totality of all things. Instead, the Old Testament uses heaven and earth for this comprehensive sense of the created order, this background then of all things in the New Testament. This becomes clear in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, which commonly uses the key New Testament term, tapanta, all things. Consider, for example, Isaiah 44, 24. I am the Lord who made, in, in the Septuagint, I am the Lord who made all things, panta, who alone stretched out the heavens, who by myself spread out the earth. Or Jeremiah 10, 16. Not like these is the Lord, the portion of Jacob, for he is the one who formed all things. Or in Sirach, by his words, all things hold together. You think Paul might have been reading Sirach? By his word, all things hold together. So a key point here, given this equivalence of heaven and earth, in the Old Testament, with all things in the New, there is no basis for thinking that the gospel has to do only with spirit, not also with matter, the physical, material world, and not just our physical bodies. This is true not only now, but also ultimately in the world to come. Of course, salvation is a spiritual reality, but it's a spiritual reality that incorporates the renewal of all things. There's no dualism here. There's no journey from earth to heaven. Rather, the renewal of heaven and earth 
his coming as the prophets promised long ago, as we read in Acts 3.21. Now, Paul is explicit here in Colossians. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Of course, we don't see that reconciliation now, which is, is our mission. This is consistent with and further explains what Jesus and the gospel writers taught. For example, in John 3.35, the Father loves the Son and has placed all things, Jesus says, in his hands. Or in Luke 10.22, Jesus says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. It's not just Paul that uses this. Or John 12.32, and I, when I am lifted up, from the earth will draw all to myself. This leads naturally to the, the final, I think, and most important point here, and that is the resurrection. The incarnation and resurrection, the decisive fact of Jesus' incarnate life and physical resurrection. The incarnation is the ultimate answer to the question of Jesus and the earth. The word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. Not only the incarnation, but Jesus' earthly life, the living out of that incarnation, is the ultimate answer to the question of the value and significance of the created order. Jesus' healings and the logic of his parables, his calling of the church, his body. Consider his parables, for example. Jesus' parables are not dualistic. They are not earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. Rather, they are an affirmation of the unity and interconnection, the ecology of earth and heaven. I like what uh, Vijay John from India says in this regard. He says, the parables focusing on nature remind us that the realm of the natural and the spiritual cannot be split in two. Close association with nature and the observance of the process of, process of nature help us to grasp the depth and spiritual association it provides and to feel the awe of the miraculous working of God in the realm of the earthly. In other words, there is a harmony in the rhythms and processes of what we call, in the natural, the process of the natural, in what we call the spiritual. And then, of course, Jesus' resurrection is the ultimate proof and promise and power of the renewal of all creation. Romans 8, 19 through 21, for the creation waits. And the point here is, is how this, this verse is buttressed by the whole earlier part of the scripture. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Or Romans 8, 20, uh, 22, or in this, in this whole passage, but particularly these verses, all creation groaning, subjected to decay, but waiting in eager expectation for the final liberation, the final restoration. So we're talking about the, the wholeness of Jesus Christ, the whole Jesus Christ, reconciliation with God, 
through the life and work of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. Salvation is a Trinitarian drama. Jesus Christ in fullness, incarnation, his life, example, his teaching, the community he formed, his atoning death, his resurrection, the ongoing reign of Jesus, his return to bring the kingdom of God in fullness. It is all of one piece, and it is all part of the story of God through Jesus Christ bringing all things in heaven and earth together under one head. Consider some of the things that Jesus said in, in this light. Luke 24, 39, Jesus says, Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. So he, they might not miss the point. He says, by the way, do you have any fish? Hebrews 2, 14 through 15. The, Hebrew, the, writers to the writer to the Hebrews says, Since therefore the children share flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same things, so that through, through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. Now notice here, not destroy the earth. Destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Whatever happened to Jesus in the resurrection, the same thing will happen to us and to the whole creation through judgment and through redemption. The key point here for theology and, and, and for mission, really, is holistic mission. Holistic mission includes God's plan for the whole creation. Otherwise, it's two-thirds of the gospel. It's not the whole gospel. We are not living or proclaiming the whole gospel if we neglect this key biblical emphasis, but how glorious and how joyful uh, and how inviting it is to pick up on and live out the whole gospel. God intends to redeem people with their environment, not out of their environment. In the Bible, the direction of salvation is not up to heaven, it's down to earth. Or, to put it better, it's the marriage of heaven and earth. It is Beulah, as we have it in Isaiah, the marriage of heaven and earth, the reconciliation of all things. So, might this be our future? The rapture? Or this? Or maybe what Edward Hicks depicted in, his, in the Peaceable Kingdom in uh, his depiction of uh, Isaiah 11. Not rapture, but healing, restoration. This is what uh, the Bible promises. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This is the good news, the word of the Lord. Amen.